0: and another week of the Robert Genius Podcast. And we are now into the month of February. January blew by really fast, didn't it? (laughs) So we're in February, February February's Black History Month. So I'm just giving you a warning. Well, not really a warning, but just a notice that for this month... The music is going to be all black, okay? And I am going to, this month, you know, try to put a little spotlight on different black people and not the usual suspects, right? I mean, every Black History Month you hear about Dr. King, you hear about, well, I haven't been in school for a long time, but it used to be, you know, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, um, George Washington Carver, Benjamin Banneker, right now. Um, you know we heard about them, them every year, and look, they should be talked about every year. They should be talked about all year. There is never a bad day to talk about any of them. But there are a whole lot more black people out there to deserve recognition. And not just famous people, right? I mean, there are, you know, regular-ass black people who just get up and go to work every day who deserve recognition. And I may just pick one of those people out this month. And, yeah, I'm going to pick one or two of those people out this month in addition to talking about some black people who, you know, have been in the public eye or whatever. And so this week, the music is coming from Living Color. (laughs) See what I did there? But anyway, um, I picked them because they are not a rap group from the New York, and from the 80s and 90s. Uh, But because they do rock music. And it has been, well, not forgotten, but just flat out rewritten you know that you know black people were the you know artistically were really the pioneers of you know what would become rock and roll music you know Chuck Berry Little Richard and so on um, and a few others that do not get talked about much at all and I maybe should mention them too as soon as this, I go look them up. (laughs) Look, I was bad on, look, I am as bad on this subject as everybody else. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I really am. But anyway, Living Color, um, they started up when I was in high school. They're still going. So they're not a rap group from the 80s and 90s, but they are a black rock and roll band from the 80s and 90s who are still playing. So, you know, some of the usual pattern remains the same for me. But anyway, um yeah, at one point they were, like, super huge. And they went on tour with Rolling Stones. Right. And they have continued to make music and make... And, you know, go perform live and tour and all of that. You know, of course, until COVID happened. And, you know, once... Bands are going on tour again. They're on my list. So I'm that song you heard leading us in is their biggest hit, Cult of Personality. That was off their debut album. If you are a wrestling fan, then you remember that that was the theme for CM Punk for a few years. And they actually performed it live at WrestleMania 29 when he came to the ring. And also, um, you know, the lead guitarist Vernon Reed hes a good follow on Twitter. So I mean, I follow him, and he, he talks a lot about music and musical influences and all that stuff. I mean, he's a really good follow if you, you know, that type of thing. And as far as other stuff this week, um, all right, got the, the the NFL coaching wackiness continued. So I got some more on that. And a little tribute to former Temple basketball coach, John Cheney, who passed away over the weekend. So i got a bunch of that going on and I'm going to do a little wrestling for a few minutes because on the night before Black History Month started, there was a banner moment in achievement for... Black people in the world of professional wrestling. <laughs> so. I would be re- be remiss to not talk about it here. So I'm going to give that a few minutes. And other than that. That is all that I can think of right now. As... You know, as as I've told y'all, I record this show over the course of the week. So whatever else comes to mind between now and when this got published, you know, if if we'll we'll get in there. Anyway, so let's get this thing rolling. Go ahead, you get some more living color, and we will move along. Back to the music thing here. Uh, like I said, this month we're gonna be doing it's Black History Month, so it's, it's gonna be Black music all month, all right? Or music by Black artists, I should say. And I started off with Living Color because, well, they're just an interesting kind of—I guess anomalies. Well, that might not be the right word, but it's the one I'm thinking of right now. And <laughs> because, like, their first album came out in nineteen eighty-eight, and in nineteen eighty-eight, a rock group made of comprised of four black men, particularly a new rock group, you know, made of four black men, was just um, stuck out like a sore thumb. Because at that point, I mean. We weren't doing that like that. And also... You know... Rock music... Had... Well... Okay... It's, it's that... Rock music... Had changed... Over several decades... And... The people doing it... Had changed... Over several decades... So... It... Really... Did not much resemble... The art form, or the form of music that was started by you know Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and so on, and the people doing it, you know, didn't look like Chuck Berry or Little Richard either, right? Um, <clears throat> so the entire thing had changed. So for for four black men to be doing what was rock, what was considered to be rock music in 1988. Was just like, wait a minute, this is kind of weird. But they you know, they were and are great at it. So they made, so they had a, so they had and still do have a career. And you know, then they've had a couple of big hits here and there also. But the important thing out of that is the, at least, <coughs> what you should do is, you know, you see them, and it, it should spark some interest to go back and look up the history, and see how we got from Chuck Berry and Little Richard to, you know, Motley Crew, and that's not a dig on Motley Crew, right, I mean, right, Motley Crew is, you know, they've been very good at what they do, and they've had some hits, and you know what they've had they've made a lot of people happy over the years etc cetera, etc cetera. alright so I'm not taking a shot at like Motley Crue or the other hair bands but you know over what a period of 30 years you know we went from like one to the other and one, now I when I was in college I took a class like history of rock and roll music and something like that it was a great class if and not just because we got to listen to a bunch of cool music, but also because, you know, the teacher explained, just like you know, musically how, you know, over time these parts were taken out, you know, and <clears throat> or you know, bass lines were less relied upon, and you know, the vocals were began to be sung differently. You know, you went from what, you went from the way that, you know, Chuck Berry and Little Richard was sing to the kind of, you know, again, the hair band kind of screaming into the mic kind of stuff, right, and, uh, and then, you know, and then in the middle, you had, you know, the British Invasion, and you had, you know, other, like, white American artists like, you know, Aerosmith, like Creedence Clearwater Revival, and, were clearly influenced by the pioneers but kind of, and you know mostly stuck to how they were doing it but then they kind of gave way to punk and then punk turned into you know kind of the, well it led to the eventually the the hairband stuff and now that I'm look I'm giving a very kind of brief bastardized Version of history here, so yes, I am leaving out a lot of stuff. right, but I'm Just doing the quick version. And then at one point, you had, you know, disco was a big thing, and then disco <clears throat> got just like run out of town, basically. And there's a lot of controversial history behind that. I mean, it wasn't just that it fell out of fashion; like they were, they were people who just basically made a decision to run disco out of town right like it didn't just fade away it was thrown out but you know come 1988 you know you got uh you got your hair bands mm-hmm. and then you know you have like Guns N' Roses who was not hair band, you know but they're kind of a different thing Well, they're kind of their own thing, you know. I mean, they were a rock band, yes. But they weren't like the hair band, Motley Crue, Poison kind of, you know, Warrant or any of those kind of folks. So, 1988, you got Living Color. And in 1988, they are different. And it's one of those... And you know what? And it was one of those things where a lot of people had just... It it didn't compute for a lot of people, right? I mean, and not just. And when I I say people, I I'm not talking about white people. Okay, I'm talking about all kinds of people. It just did not compute. It didn't compute for a lot of black people either. Seeing these guys doing that, because things had just gone on to become such, you know, different thing in rock music by 1988. So they they we're kind of planting a flag, if you will, to remind everybody, you know, that, you know, rock music, you know, was created and started by black artists. So it should not be weird or uncommon to see some black guys doing it in the present day. You know, and um, actually, I've tried recording this part several times, but but you know, I'm not trying to find the right, right way to the right way. <laughs> Freudian slip there, and then okay, <laughs> the right way to talk about all of this. <laughs> okay (laughs) i'm trying to get together here all right but listen all right so you know black artists started created rock rock and roll music popularized it you know some white artists who did respect and revere the art form and the people who made it started doing it i mean like I mean, you can listen to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards talk about it, and they they pay all due respect and all reverence to the people who started it, okay? Um, If there's a, you know, if you want to say there there, there was a white people taking over rock and roll music problem, I would say they were not part of the problem, okay? (coughs) But, you know, you went from the people who started it to... Several white groups and artists who, again, did pay proper respect, did did give proper due and proper reverence, and then eventually you you ended up over time, you know, fewer and fewer of us were doing it, and I would imagine some of that is because the money dried up for us because you know the, the white artists were doing it and they were. In, they were making the record companies the money that needed to be made. <clears throat> and they were making more than the pioneers made doing it. So I imagine there were just, there were fewer spaces for us to get signed doing that kind of music, number one. And then a lot of us moved on to rap. You know, rap began to really become a thing in the 80s. And a lot of us who would have been doing rock and roll music, who would have been doing RB music, were doing rap music. So, you get 1988, and there aren't very many of us doing any type of rock music at all, and that's where they came in, <clears throat> and that, you know what, and well, there, still aren't, there still aren't a lot of us doing it now, but them coming in when they did, did kind of at least eventually make it more palatable to black artists who you know, were heavy on guitar, right, because the only one really who was out here playing guitar, you know, before, you know, was Prince, and the Prince is one of the greatest guitarists ever, okay, and we don't talk about it enough because, you know, he's Prince, and we talk about all of the Prince aura and mystique and all of that stuff, <coughs> but he's Prince was one of the best guitarists of all time, but other than him... I mean, you, you just didn't see a whole lot of us in 1988 who were, you know, playing heavy guitar, you know, like guitar heavy music. And now, I mean, you know, since *Living Color* there's been many like rabbits who, you know, kind of grab a torch there. Uh, now today, you know, in recent years there's you know Gary Clark Jr. who is Gary Clark Jr. is excellent. Go, you should go listen to him, and I will actually play stuff from him one week. Um, <clears throat> you know, there have been other, like, you know, s- smaller scale artists who maybe didn't blow up or anything, but um, there's a guy actually, uh, Robert Randolph, who plays, uh, like the like a it, boy he, he played like a pedal guitar, like sitting down, like guitar kind of thing, it's really cool, you should check him out too, but you know, that I mean, it's more, now it's not, if you see, you see a black artist who's playing guitar heavy music, like it's not like a weird thing now, even though there still really aren't that many, but it's not a weird thing now, and I think that Living Color at least got the ball rolling in that direction again. So they deserve all credit. They deserve praise. And they deserve some of your money. Buy some of their stuff. Anyhow. So that's, that's your black music. Well that's probably your black music history lesson for the month. Because I'm not going to spend you know, almost 15 minutes every week on it. But that's your. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's music talk for this week. Have some more next week. Won't be as long. Anyway, I'll we'll take a break now and we got more NFL to do because the coaching thing is just crazy. It stayed crazy. <clears throat> so we're going to get to that. Be right back. Thing I spent the most time on last week was the, you know, NFL head coach hiring situation. And yeah, I went on for a bit about the that the Houston Texans have been considering hiring Josh McCown, who was just a backup quarterback. And that had they hired him, were, if they were going to hire him, they were considering also bringing on someone who had been a head coach to basically teach him how to do the job. Well, that did not happen. And, you know, that long rant I went on about, you know, black coaches not getting opportunity to be head coaches and not getting hired enough and all that. And, well, Houston decided to both refute me. And give me something to laugh at at the same time. So, they went and they got themselves a black head coach. (laughs) Which, well, should be good, right? I mean, I guess, you know, I should lay off of them, right? I mean, that might be what you're thinking is that, well, gee, you know, you went on a big long rant last week and they showed you, didn't they? (laughs) well, you know what, sometimes we are loud and wrong, okay, it happens, it is not the first time I've been loud and wrong, it will not be the last time I'm loud and wrong, however, however, the black coach they hired is one that allows me to get some points back because <laughs> <laughs> they did not hire Eric Bieniemy. They did not hire somebody who's been around, you know, the block like Marvin Lewis or Jim Caldwell, right? They didn't hire Anthony Lynn. No, they, no, no none of those guys. They went and hired David Culley. Who's David Cully? I had no idea who he was, and I don't think the only people who knew knew him were the you know people who well the only people who knew him are the people who know him if that makes any sense so he was an assistant like a passing game coordinator or something with the Baltimore Ravens okay so he was on a staff yes um but David Cully is 65 years old which kind of means that he's not there for the long haul um, which is something that i think went into their decision-making process and he also said that you know he's coming there with the expectation that deshaun watson will be the quarterback. You know, Deshaun Watson has been their quarterback for the last few years, and he has been very pissed off at the ownership and management of the team the past couple of years because they've traded away some very good players. Um, The head coach they had, Bill O'Brien, well, he was the head coach and the GM. He was an okay head coach and a terrible GM. He ran a bunch of their better players away from there then he got fired and now there's some guy who's like he's basically advising the owner who's you know everybody's basically saying it's some kind of a weird snake oil salesman type of dude so in the midst of all this they hired David Culley now Deshaun Watson is asked where he trade. he does not want to be there they don't have to trade him I mean, they can force him to either hold out or Come play. And this guy Cully is saying that he's, you know, came in with the belief that Watson's going to be quarterback. Which I think makes him a bit gullible. But also, I mean, at 65 years old, just like a head coaching, your first ever head coaching job. I mean, that's the kind of thing you do because, hey, why not? I mean if you were to go back a couple of weeks to shoot him up the truth serum you know and ask him about his coaching career and what he thought the future was he would probably tell you that you know what it would have been nice to have been considered at one time to be a coach but this thing I'm doing now is you know it's fine and I'm at my age you know what I, I, I can do this for a few more years I'm good but then he got offered a head coaching job And something that was not supposed to happen, something that he probably more than likely had resigned himself that was going to never happen, he was not a big-name candidate on anybody's list. But they offered it to him, so of course you take it. I mean, it's like you reach a certain age, and you kind of resign yourself to the fact that there are, you know, your chances of dating a celebrity aren't particularly high. You know, And you, and you, don't, you don't waste a whole lot of time thinking about it anymore. Right, you accept your lot in life and you (laughs) and you're content with whatever your kind of realistic dating pool is, if you are still single, and you just gotta keep it moving. So you know, imagine that you get that phone call or you get that I don't know, email or message or some kinda way. You know, some celebrity, you know, some celebrity that you had your eye on, that you have the hots for, you know, they they contact you and tell you they say, hey, would you like to go out sometime? Well, you know, you know, whatever you've kind of resigned yourself to, or whatever you've kind of accepted, and as being realistic, you get that phone call, you're like, well, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean... I mean, right? so that's kind of where he is, right? He, like He's the guy who, you know, he's accepted that, you know, Halle Berry's not calling the number, right? And then one day she does. <laughs> and, and what do you do, right? I mean, you got to throw the, all the real, realistic thinking out the window and just say, well, yeah, let's go. I mean, that's what's going on here. And it's just funny. It's, it's funny because, you know, they did this thing and it's kind of like, yeah, gotcha. What you going to say now? But they did it in such a way that it's just like, come on. <laughs> and there's no, no shade, no disrespect to coach. All right. It's just that we've never heard of you and you're 65 years old, dude. It doesn't mean you can't do the job. It doesn't mean you won't be any good. But it's just really peculiar that they called you. But with that, good luck. Now, there's another kind of um, branch on the coach hiring tree. It was tended to like literally like last Friday after I already published last week's episode. And that is Nick Sirianni, who was hired as the new coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is another guy that we that was not whose name was not high on any lists, who was not being talked up anywhere. And he just gets hired out of the blue, and like last week his his introductory press conference was one where I had to get the audio, okay, and it's not as funny as Dan Campbell, but this is still this is still something else here so here here, here goes, and then <laughs> just take a listen to this. Next thing that's very important to me is that we build a smart football team, that we have a smart football team here. And I know we have the, the people in place to do that. The first part of that, the first part of being smart is knowing what to do. We're going we're gonna to have systems in place that are easier to learn, All right, complicated to the defense or offense that they're going against or the special teams group they're going against, but easy for us to learn. Because when we can put that, because we when we can learn our system and we can get good at our system, then our talent can take over. Less thinking equals talent take over. But we need to have systems in place and we will have systems in place to do so. All right, so that was Nick Sirianni. Okay. He was in the new coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And... You know, he's not unlike Dan Campbell, he wasn't, you know, cutting a wrestling promo up there. But he sounded just lost and clueless. At least from where I'm sitting. I mean Sounded like you know he was he had memor he had stayed up all night memorizing some coach speak. Then he got up there to talk and he was having trouble remembering it all and then he was he was just trying to get through it and, 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 and yikes now you know, maybe you interpreted that differently um, most of the reactions I saw on Twitter to that were kind of the same as mine so either we're all right or we're all wrong <laughs> but um yeah Oof. I mean is it in the grand scheme of things is it? Is it like a big deal I guess not is it some grand determinant of how good of a coach he's going to be no but again what we are told what we have been told time and again is that black coaches who interview for these jobs not interview well and when you see guys like Sirianni when you see guys like Dan Campbell you see how they talk at the press conference which again, like I said last week the press conference, the introductory press conference is when you are supposed to sound your most self-assured and organized and like you have your shit together all right? because nothing has happened yet you haven't lost any games. You haven't had any injuries. You haven't had any players get arrested. Right? Uh, you know, nothing bad has happened yet. To kind of throw you off or whatever. So you're supposed to sound your most confident your most self-assured. And your most organized. Here. Because it all goes downhill from here. So when you get up there then and you sound like... Yeah, you, you sound like you're tweeting through it. Oh boy, I mean, I doesn't exactly instill a whole lot of confidence. And again, we, we are told that you know black coaches do not interview well. So when I hear Sirianni, when I hear Dan Campbell, I have to ask myself, I have to ask all of you, after listening to them. Do you think they sounded like way better in the interview do you think that they gave a great interview and then you know i mean do you really think that all right so the thing that gets left out of all these conversations is the fact that the owners don't have to make money i'm sorry the owners don't have to win right that's a fundamental reason why a lot of these coaching decisions get made because you don't have to win well I mean you don't have to win to make more money right the NFL in particular more than any of the other sports leagues has essentially you know socialized and communized business so that everybody is basically making the same money and you're making it regardless of how much you win so as a result you don't have to win you don't have to win right you don't you can just go one in fifteen Right, I mean... Um, you know, it doesn't hurt... The, like, your bottom line doesn't really get hurt. Until, like, if you go 1-15... in 15, You know, five years in a row... And it's just beyond embarrassing... And nobody's coming to the stadium... And then people are not watching anymore... Right? That's when it starts to affect your bottom line. But it takes years of that. Okay, if you are... Mediocre most years with the occasional good year you're good all right you will make enough i mean you'll you get your tv money and you'll get enough ticket money and understand tv money for every team is almost a billion dollars every year all right and that's whether you can go 0 and 16 or 16 and 0 TV money stays the same alright doesn't matter you know ticket money better when you win yes is that such a big amount you know money that you got to go 12 and 4 every year no right you just got to be competitive or you have to be just good enough so that people keep buying tickets Right, so you can you can go eight and eight, seven and nine, six and ten, eight and eight, seven and nine, boom, twelve and four, eleven and five, and then back to the eights. All right, you can do that. That's all you got to do. So no, you don't have to win. Your bottom line is not that is not affected that much more on average by winning. Like I said, unless you are. Playing multiple home playoff games every year, and you know, getting to either the conference championship or the Super Bowl—if you're doing that every year, like like you know, New England was doing before the bottom fell out—yes, New New England Patriots during the whole Brady Belichick era made a lot of money off of winning. Okay, and that's because they won so damn much, but. You know, the guy, the team that goes, you know, 9-7, 10-6, 9-7, 6 maybe host a home playoff game, you know, every, every couple of years. No, they're not doing that much better financially than the team that goes 6-10 every year and misses the playoffs, right? It, it, they aren't, and that is where it gets tricky because you know look the owners will go they'll go 6 and 10 with somebody they feel cool hanging around with they'll do that before they go 10 and 6 with somebody who makes them feel a little uncomfortable and that's how you end up with a lot of these hires because they don't have to win right I mean and it's just funny because you know the NFL I've said before the NFL as far you know, as far, you know politics the NFL is the most you know MAGA or they, of all the sports leagues like they, their owners were all in for Trump right and they're supposed to be the, you know the kings of capitalism masters of the universe all this kind of stuff and they run a business that is essentially a cartel and where everything is divided up equally you know, and to the point where there's little incentive to win and other than, you know, other than consistently winning really big like New England, there is no incentive there's very little incentive to win to go, you know, 10 and 6 instead of 7 and 9 there's, not, there's, there's just isn't much incentive there because it doesn't make that much of a difference on your bottom line so it's just it, it's it's ironic that these men you know they, they, again kings of capitalism tell you no free lunch and all this kind of stuff oh come on okay you know kings of capitalism no free lunch all these kind of things these kind of dudes and they run a business that is 100% the antithesis of you know kings of capitalism right, I mean they run a welfare queen business alright that's what they run and of course they want you to believe again they want you to believe they are the you know kings of capitalism and they run a welfare queen business that's, I mean and they've done that on purpose. And cuz well cuz you know why cuz they figured it out. They figured out that it's better to run a you know welfare queen business where everybody can eat no matter how anyone does as an individual. They figured out it's better to do that than to you know than to run it in such a way where The winners make a lot and the losers make very little because they want to keep you know they want 32 viable franchises right because that's you know 32 revenue streams from 32 different cities and it's more important to maintain that than anything so just some food for thought something to keep in mind all right and uh Sports here. Well, we're already doing sports, duh. <clears throat> But switching from the football insanity to some basketball insanity. <laughs> so it turns out, alright, this is around the time of year where the NBA All-Star game would normally happen. It would happen in February? <clears throat> of course, now this year we got coronavirus. And having the usual gathering for NBA All Star weekend would be kind of stupid. Because what happens is, you know, they, they pick the town, a bunch of people come into town, party, all that stuff. And <coughs> you have the game on Sunday, and you know, you got the slam dunk contest, the three point contest, all that good stuff. All right, that's over the weekend. You got a bunch of little, bunch of different things where they have a bunch of people come see it and have fun, good time, all that. Well, can't do that now. Cannot do that during Corona. So you probably just shouldn't have the game. Right? <clears throat> when you pick all-star teams, that's fine. Cause look, I mean people got stuff in that contract where they make the all-star team to get more money. So you should not take that away from them. So by all means, pick all-star teams. Yes. People can have their bonuses, yes. Festivities? No. But what is Adam Silver doing? What is the NBA doing? They decided to have the game. Where? Why? Why? Hey, I mean, they have just recently, in the past few weeks, gotten the, the, the corona stuff under control <clears throat> now you're going to bring stuff now you're, you're going to bring people to a city been different, different places and understand that once it's been decided that there is going to be a game <clears throat> people are going to come to the city even if no matter what type of restrictions are in place... People are going to come to the city... And somebody's going to have some underground party or something... At some nightclub somewhere... And people are going to come... And then you're going to get an outbreak... And not only is... It <coughs> so not only are we being this stupid... We're also doing... it. Th- he's also allowing... Saying that... you know During the all-star break... Because it usually takes about a week... Well, they, they you know they have they they'll have games up through like Monday, and then the rest of the week they're off, and then like Friday and Saturday they have All Star weekend festivities. So he said that during the, those like few those days between like the Monday and the Friday, you know he said the players can travel, can go out of town, and, and you know mention some locations like like kind of resort type of places. And again, what are we doing? You're going to have them go out to... You're going to let them go out to different places. Everybody's not going to be responsible. One, they're going to go to some places they shouldn't be going to. You know, for pandemic reasons. (coughs) They're going to be around people who are not being responsible. Which means you may have to end up canceling the damn game because of infections anyway or you know you have the game people haven't you know fully contracted the virus yet (coughs) and you have a bunch of you know people testing positive afterwards it's just dumb and what's really sad is that all of these companies these big companies At the end of the day, they're all doing the same thing. And as much as, look, (coughs) as rightfully as we've criticized the wrestling companies for running shows, particularly the guys who never stopped, you know, the WWE and AEW, they never stopped running shows. And as rightfully as we've been critical of them, you know, the NBA, which, you know, had the bubble and all of that, And we all, you know, lauded how smart they were for doing it. When they got a chance to be stupid, they're being stupid. And it's just a metaphor or avatar or whatever for the country. That we were never willing to do what really needed to be done when it needed to be done. Yeah, we have half-assed our way through this whole thing. That's why we're still where we are now. <coughs> <clears throat> and here we are. It's the Super Bowl weekend, which means there's gonna be some more stupidity, right? Because you know, look, we're gonna, you know what's gonna happen? You know that next week, you know, you know they're gonna be pictures popping up on people's Instagram or whatever at Super Bowl parties and all this stuff, right? We know that's gonna happen. And. Just we have, we as a society, half assed our way through this. <coughs> we never had anything resembling a national nationwide lockdown or any type of restriction, you know, or no like hard set of like nationalized restrictions. We never had that. Some places never had any restrictions. There were some states that did not have any restrictions ever, <coughs> okay and that's why we're still where we are and there's still people who are bitching and moaning about things like you know wearing a mask in a store some idiot just a day or two ago got told he couldn't go on the Rock School chicken and waffles without a mask so what does he do he gets pissed off about that and he comes back with a gun and like holds the place up now look to be honest, he was probably going to hold the place up anyway. But, I mean, it's just funny that, you know, in this version of events, that's kind of supposedly the catalyst. But, I mean, you know. But still, and we have people, you know, still to this day, videos of people throwing temper tantrums because they're being. <coughs> ask to wear a mask in the store. You have people equating, you know, wearing a mask to, you know, calling themselves oppressed. And yes, I said oppressed, not oppressed. I said that, pronounced it that way on purpose. Okay. People calling themselves oppressed. Because they've been, because they, there's a sign out on the door that says, <coughs> can't come in without a mask. And they're, asking, they're acting as if they're, you know, being told to go to the back of the lunch counter. Okay. What kind of jackassery is that but anyway NBA what are y'all doing what are y'all doing I mean look, LeBron came out and said that he didn't he wasn't down with it and <clears throat> but then he said you know well if he's there he'll be there he won't be there he'll be there physically but not in spirit I'm like okay dude Um I said this on Twitter I'm gonna say here LeBron you need to borrow a phrase from the world of professional wrestling, okay? And that phrase is, "Not going to work for me, brother." <coughs> okay, that's, <laughs> that's what you do. That's that's what you say when something been, has been pitched towards you or asked of you to do, and you're not really feeling it, and you have the, you know, wherewithal to say no. You say, I mean, it's not going to work for me, brother. If there was ever a time for you to say that, LeBron James and all your other contemporaries, this is it. Seriously, because they're that, I mean, come on now. This is just dumb. It really is just dumb. Anyhow, all right. Um enough of that. <coughs> Take a break. And... Gonna talk a little more about *In Living Color*. Not *In Living Color*. That's a TV show. *Living Color*, the group. Sorry, and you know, black music. Right back. of the show here is going to be about pro wrestling. Okay. So if you're one of the listeners who really ain't that interested in the whole wrestling thing, then, you know, if you want to bail, then understood. If you're not, then stick around. Oh, I will say that some of the stuff I'm talking about here this time might interest you. You know, I'm Yeah, you know, I'm not going to you know opine on who won what match and why or anything like that. But anyway, all right, so first up, it's Black History Month and it is important to note that on January 31st, which was not part of Black History Month, the uh, WWE had its Royal Rumble, which is one of the biggest shows of the year, and one of the th- things that comes out of the Royal Rumble is that they choose, there's a, there are two Royal Rumble matches, and one for the men, one for the women, and the winners get to have a title match at WrestleMania. So, for the women's, on the women's side, the winner was Bianca Belair, who is the first black woman to win a Royal Rumble. Now, there have only been four women's Royal Rumbles, so it's really cool that it did not take, you know, 30 of them for that to happen, but given how, you know, just, well, look, the wrestling business is like any other part, any other sector, Or corner of the entertainment industry. And that is there is a ton of racism. And a ton of sexism. Throughout its history. And there's still. You know. Way too much today. It's better today. Yes. But it's a long way to go still. So. Her winning this is a big deal. It's a super huge deal. And also because she has the potential to be like the biggest star in the entire WWE, to be honest. All right. She has that much ability and personality and charisma and, you know, and also another thing that, you know, she, another thing she has that nobody else does, you know, or that she has more than anybody else does maybe in the entire wrestling industry is that she can display or convey a genuine happiness, right? And I think it's because she is genuinely happy, like she's not acting, but she can communicate it better than anybody. And listen, as human beings... Human beings, whether you're on TV or what, we we all have well a lot, you know, a lot of us, or they say most of us, have issues. Have have real difficulty communicating that we're actually happy, right? I mean, especially adults, right? Kids can do it, right? But for us adults, like just genuinely, you know. Communicating that we are indeed happy about something is not, no, it's not easy. I guess because we got, you know, baggage and all that. But she does. And she does it, again, she does it better than probably anybody on TV right now. And there's no, you know, there's no sense of, you know, well, even in, in pro wrestling, a lot of times, even the good guys, there's a, you know, the way they express themselves is often like airing of grievances and whatnot. And here, you know, she doesn't do that. And it is, you know, it is a breath of fresh air, really. And I think, I'm hoping, we are all, well, most of us are hoping that, you know, that, that her true potential as a performer is met. Because, again, she can be the biggest star in the entire business, I think. So, I mean, that's a big deal. And, you know, I'm running some stuff on my own website, robsagenius.com, about that. Um, there's already a piece up Then where I had a, a guest writer, one of my uh, Twitter contemporaries, Tanya, and she wrote a guest piece about you know what it means for her as a black woman wrestling fan to have seen that so that is already up you can already read it and you know um in a few days i will have my own because i wanted to give is it's important that y'all read that first from her all right i don't want to clog the space so it's important that y'all got to, got to see what she said so please go read that all right um, it's called Bianca's Win for Black Women. That's on my website, robsagenius.com. Go read it. It's important. Now, the other wrestling matter I'm going to get to here involves Mr. Uh, Bad Bunny. <laughs> now, all right, Bad Bunny is a rapper. He's He thinks he's Puerto Rican. I am not familiar. Well, he performed at the Royal Rumble I'm not familiar with any of his songs. He is not in my wheelhouse. Um, It just, you know what? He's for, Bad Bunny's for the kids, right? He's for the kids, and I'm not one of the kids. So, just, it is what it is, right? I'm not one of the kids, right? Doesn't mean I can't ever like any of the kids' music, but I'm not a kid. Bad Bunny for the kids. Bad Bunny little the kids, as far as I know. So, but, um, there was, you know, he performed at the show and he is a wrestling fan, but there was some, you know, stick in the muds who were upset that he was there. And this is the same type of gatekeeping garbage that goes on with like comic book circles where anything that, it, any measure that it is taken to reach outside of the bubble, you know, whether it be the wrestling bubble or the comic book bubble is met with a bunch of disdain and, you know. Heavy breathing from, you know, 35, 40 year old bros. And y'all gotta stop. Okay. Well, no, look, you're not gonna stop. I know. I know. And you're not. I know. But y'all suck. Okay. Y'all really do. All right. I mean, you, you claim to love pro wrestling so much the same way comic book bro claims to love the comic book industry so much and wants to see it continue on and on and he wants to see it get bigger right you know wrestling fan bro wants wrestling to be mainstream wants wrestling to be bigger wants wrestling to be cool again well it becomes cool when more people are watching it And, like, it's kind of a... It's not really a chicken or egg thing, right? Like, something happens... Somebody comes along... Or some... You know, that... Gets a bunch of people watching. And then suddenly it becomes cool. And then more people watch. Right? I mean... That's what happens. You know, you... Like, you have to try something first. Like, it's... It's not... And it's not going to be that... You know, the wrestling show was booked the right way. The same way as, you know, the comic book story needs to be written the right way. No, I mean that you know that I mean you need good stories, yes, but ultimately the people that you see in the stories are what bring people. And if you want if you want it to get bigger, if you want it to be cooler, if you want it to be more mainstream, well then, you got to go where there's fertile ground. And and with pro wrestling, as with comic books, the fertile ground to find new people to get involved in it are women, people of color, LGBT folks. That's That's where the fertile ground is. It's not 45-year-old bros or 35-year-old bros, and I'm, okay, and by bros, I mean, bros are mostly white, yes, Look, like, y'all know I wouldn't go a whole episode without saying nothing about y'all, y'all know that, come on now, <laughs> come on now, <laughs> all right, but, um, I mean, look, and now, you know, there's some, I've seen some, some brothers amongst the bros, that's that's kind of ironic, isn't it? But anyway, um, but still, you know, bros, comic book bros, wrestling fan bros, are mostly like white dudes over the age of thirty, and or even over the you know over the age of forty, even. Right, and it's just you can't say in one breath that you want it to be bigger and more mainstream and cool, and then turn around and get mad. When they try to do that, and again, I told you where the fertile ground is, all right? There ain't there there ain't a whole lot of fertile ground amongst you know white guys over the age of thirty, okay? Why? Because the, that demographic is all pretty much tapped out, okay? They already got as many of y'all as they're probably gonna get, okay? Except for like you know little kids or whatever, right? But again. Like there isn't some big huge, you know, mass of white dudes over the age of thirty who you can get to become wrestling fans or comic book fans. All right. I mean fertile ground is always it's always children. But other than that, it's groups who have not been catered to in the past. So that's where the growth is. If you want this thing to survive. Then that's where it's got to. That's where it's got to reach. And if you're afraid that you know that you know your you know eighty percent white wrestling company is gonna be you know eighty percent not white one day, dude, that 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 ain't happening, bro. Okay, it's not. All right. I mean, if it's eighty percent white now, all right, it might be sixty-five percent white in ten years or something. Right? It's, it's not going to be. You know, seventy thirty. Again, you know, not white. But at the same time, I need to ask you if it was okay for us to watch it when it was ninety ten white. Y'all can't watch seventy thirty white. Y'all can't watch sixty forty white. Really? I mean, again. You know, I've been a wrestling fan for over 30 years. And when I first started, it was like 90-10 white or 95-5 white. Okay. And us black people watched it, even though we we weren't even, we were barely 10% of the people on screen, if that. And we watched it just fine so if we can do that then y'all can watch it when y'all are if y'all are only 65% okay come on now come on now time to grow up you're already 35 years old maybe older time to grow up and if you refuse to grow up on this particular matter well well Yeah, yeah. Well, you you might be something that you don't think you are. Are you calling us racist? Are you? I mean, answer that for yourself. I mean, answer just might be yes. (laughs) I mean, if it is, if the answer is yes, then you got two choices. You either work on it and get out of it. Or you own it and accept the consequences. Period. In the story. So, anyhow, that's that. And that's enough for me yapping. Right, I'm going to give you some more living color. And then we're going to get out of here. Be back in a minute. some more things I'll get to next week particularly some football stuff and do a little plug things next week but I figured you know what it's a Super Bowl weekend y'all not trying to hear me go for no hour 45 minutes anyway so we will call it a week but before we do that before we do that I'll give a special shout out to two Birthday people. And those two people are my parents. They were born one day apart from each other. Well, five years apart, but, you know, the date was like one day apart. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's about as far as I'm going to go. I'm not going to put everything out there, you know, everything. But at birthday, mom and dad, I could not ask for two better parents. And. I think That's gonna be it. Please, for the love of God, do not go to any Super Bowl parties. If you're listening to this after the Super Bowl, I hope you did not go to any Super Bowl parties. Um, because that would, I mean, just be dumb, okay? Really, <laughs> really dumb. All right, um, also, <laughs> yo, know, if you get a chance to get vaccinated against coronavirus, go do it. Don't be some of these stupid anti vaxxer people. Go. Get the vaccination, all right. And other than that, other than that, other than that, please. Oh, also, I hope you enjoyed Living Color. Go listen to some of their stuff if you are so inclined. Buy some of their stuff. And once people are people are able to tour again, if they're coming to your town, go check them out. And um, okay, uh, you know what. I, can, I can, Trust me, I could ramble on and on and on forever and forever and forever. I'm not going to do that. So, um, lastly, 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 lastly. Okay, uh, I was on the Mindless Musings podcast, with My Man DJ. I was on there earlier this week, talking some pro wrestling. Go check that out. Um, Go check out my own website, com. I have one article up there about Bianca Belair winning the Royal Rumble. And sometime next week, I will have a second one from me. So go check that out. And I believe that is all the shameless plugging I need to do right now. Um, Yeah. So enjoy the Super Bowl if you're watching it. I got Chiefs probably going to win. They should win, I think. And that's it. That's it. That's really it. No more. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop now. Yes. (laughs) so look as always as always take care of yourselves take care of each other don't go nowhere you don't have to and god bless you guys talk to you next week